0: Throughout history and up to modern times, we invite you to pull up a chair, put in your earbuds and allow us to enlighten, educate and explore the real reasons why black African-Americans are so angry. Because until you know the whole history, it isn't American history at all. By the time this episode airs, many of uh, Americans will be preparing to, or will have celebrated Memorial Day. That's a time to recognize the contributions of the men and women in the US military. And also, we can't forget that it was also on Memorial Day 2020 when George Floyd was murdered. So we lift up his memory as well.
1: That's right, Aunt Carol. Although Memorial Day is an American holiday honoring the men and women who died while serving in the U.S. military, many people also take the day to recognize and remember family members of those who died as well so recalling the sad death of mr floyd is very fitting it's also fitting that we recall the contributions and sacrifices women have made through military service women have been a part of the american armed services since the american revolution all the way up to this very day
0: Yes, yes. Stories about women, especially Black African-American women in the military before World War II are rare, but women have served as soldiers, spies, and military personnel for the entire history of this country. In fact, I recently ran across uh, the name of a woman, Kathy Williams, who has a fascinating story. Williams served as Private William Cafe from 1866 to 1868 with the famed Buffalo Soldiers. You know, uh, you remember them, Courtney, they're that Black African-American military unit that patrolled the 900-mile Santa Fe Trail. She served in Company A, 38th U.S. Infantry one of the six black units formed following the Civil War. And she is the only known black African-American woman to have served as a Buffalo soldier in the Indian Wars.
1: Wow, what a woman. That just goes to show you that our foremothers were even fearless in the face of
0: war. Well, they were, they were indeed. But just like the history of women in the military goes all the way back to colonial times, so does the history of systemic racism in the military. In 2002, the Directorate of Research, Defense, and Equal Opportunity Management Institute published a research report titled Historical Overview of Racism in the Military. The purpose of the overview was to give a historical context of overt racist and discriminatory practices and policies in the U.S. military and how these dynamics and policies were perpetuated within the armed services and how military leadership has been involved in racism and discrimination. Now, in light of George Floyd's death in 2020, roll things forward, the military has again undertaken studies like this to examine systemic racism in the ranks. So the problem of systemic racism isn't anything new, and the intersection of race and gender gender makes the problem even more difficult for women in the military.
1: You're right, Aunt Carol, but can you give us some information and background on how the armed services started to become integrated for both African-American men and women, so we can get a bigger
0: picture. Certainly, certainly. Uh, it was in 1948 that President Harry Truman desegregated the armed forces. He did that with an executive order. And then General Eisenhower persuaded Congress to pass the Women's Armed Service Integration Act, which reestablished the Women's Army Corps as a permanent part of the Army. Okay, so with the Women's
1: Army Corps, did that mean that women could serve anywhere they wanted to in the armed forces?
0: Well, that would have been nice, but it took a long time to make the military fully accessible to women. Legislation formally allowing women into the military was passed in 1948. Now, even though tens of thousands of women had served in both wars, and women like Harriet Tubman and Margaret Walker had served in the Civil War as nurses, spies, and even soldiers disguised as men, women really only entered the military service academies in the 1970s and were only allowed to fly combat missions or serve on Navy combat ships in the 1990s. So it's notably that it was only in the Obama administration years that all combat positions, including in the ground forces, were finally open to women.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear that. Even though we know that women have been fighting right alongside men since the revolution, that they're finally getting recognized for that. Um, But do we have any examples of what modern what the um, modern American military would look like and how women were included in those auxiliary type of positions in World War Two?
0: Well, we do have. World War II is really kind of a, a line of demarcation. It helps us usher women into full military status. Uh, so it wasn't until World War II, with the establishment of the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps, originally called the WAAC, uh, later on it became the WAC, W-A-C uh, was established by Congress in 1942. There was also the Navy's Women Accepted for Volunteer Emergency Service, the WAVES, and the Marine Corps Women's Reserve, the Coast Guard Women's Reserve known as SPARS, S-P-A-R-S, Simpar Paratus Always Ready, and the Women Air Force Service Pilots, the WASP, that all contributed immensely in various ways to the war effort. But again, that was in World War II, and they were considered auxiliaries. Now, those military arms did not give women the hope for military status. They were classified as non-combatant essential services, things like administrative, clerical, cooking, uh, you know, those kinds of things that mostly at that time you would have said this is women's work. Now, up to 150,000 women during World War II would receive pay, food, living quarters, and medical care. But get this, uh, Courtney, they didn't get life insurance, they didn't get medical coverage, they didn't get death benefits, nor prisoner of war protection covered under international agreements. Now, as far as black African-American women are concerned, even though women gained access to the military, it took the efforts of the uh, NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, as well as the National Council of Negro Women, the National Association of Colored Graduate Nurses, and other organizations and leaders to enable Black African-American women to enlist in and work in the military. Now the WAC and the Army Nurse Corps admitted them in 1942, but, Segregated them. And the Navy waves did not enlist Black African Americans until 1944. And the Coast Guard spars then followed suit. And the Navy was the last. They uh, integrated the nurse corps uh, or they in, admitted Black African American uh, nurses into their corps, uh, but they did not integrate until 1945.
1: Well, and Carol, that just goes to show you that even when progress is made for the fight of women's equality, often Black women are afterthought or not included
0: at all. Well, yeah, you're exactly right. Once the Black African-American women got into the military, though, they made their mark. And as usual, I think you have a story about a battalion of women who did just that. So let us hear about it, Courtney. Well, and Carol, it was 1945, and of course
1: we know that World War II was going on, but the War Department faced a huge problem on top of fighting on the front lines. They faced a new enemy, which every day destroyed the morale of the military men and women on the front line in the European theater. And despite the military's best efforts, they had yet to come up with a proper strategy or plan of attack to defeat this foe. And who was that enemy you ask? the mail. The mail? The mail. Now, as any member of the armed forces will tell you, a letter or package from home is one of the best feelings in the world to be remembered and to hear news from home. So when soldiers stationed in the European theater, noticed they weren't getting any letters from home, morale began to dip severely. And since D-Day occurred, the number of qualified poster workers had all but disappeared and letters and parcels simply addressed to Junior or Buddy uh, weren't getting to where they needed to be, there was no system in place to get the mail to the right person, especially since there were 7,500 men named Robert
0: alone. Oh, wow. So trying to get that mail to, to not somebody named Robert, not even to Buddy or Junior, that was quite a task, I'm sure. It was a,
1: a big task. So if the mail wasn't reaching those over sees where was it going Well, the final resting place for a lot of these lifeline packages was from home, was a warehouse located in Birmingham, England. The backlog of packages were dating as far back as Thanksgiving. And because the mail doesn't stop, it grew larger and larger by the day. In a report to the department, the war department labeled personnel problem, a general estimated at the very least, it would take six months to clear out the backlog and that's not the everyday mail just the backlog wow now, like you stated earlier in, Carol, the Women's Army Corps or the WAC had just allowed African-American women to join them in 1942 in a segregated fashion, but they were not being utilized like the their white female car- counterparts. They received the same six weeks of basic training and some specialist training, but those jobs that were menial tasks, that were cooks and janitors, not even administrative tasks, always seemed to land on the African American uh, uh, female soldiers that were being brought in through the wax. Now these recruits were college graduates, high school graduates, women that worked in the professional world. So they knew when they saw their white female counterparts going over to seas and doing administrative jobs, they were not being utilized to the best of their ability.
0: So there we have it. Systemic racism. They are ba- they have the same qualifications, abilities, and so on as their white counterparts, but they didn't get to uh, flex their intellect or their skills.
1: Exactly. But they had two very powerful allies, one being First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt and Mary McLeod Bethune, who stepped up for them along with those other African-American groups. Uh, societies and groups that you spoke about earlier so we have two problems here african-american women in not being utilized and the male so what do we do the war department finally acquiesced and formed the six the 688th central postal directory battalion nicknamed the 6888 it boasted 824 enlisted personnel 31 officers all African-American women drawn from the WACS, the Arms, Sur- Army Services Forces, and the other groups that you listed earlier as well. So they all pulled them together. The ladies will be led by Major, and she later will be Lieutenant Colonel, Charity Edna Adams early, once she got married, and they would be sent to Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia for training. Now, these ladies would be taught to identify enemy army aircrafts, ships. They would learn how to use weapons, climb ropes uh, to board and evacuate ships. And they also ran large, long marches carrying large rucksacks. Now, by... February 14th, 1945, they arrived, uh, the first portion of their battalion arrived in Birmingham, England, and it was a rough go at it because they ran into some U-boats and there was a a scary time there. But once they landed in England, they began to, to set up shop and 50 days later, the other half of the battalion came. Now, their first task was a little bit flowery. It was throwing a parade for Lieutenant General John C.H. Lee. And the citizens came out for the parade and were very enthralled. But once the parade was over, they came face to face with their true task, the mail warehouse.
0: Oh, wow. So the parade was kind of like a sugar coating before they hit the real deal.
1: Exactly. Now, this massive warehouse had blacked out windows, which was a safety measure to prevent being bombed at night by air raids. But to add to its amenities, it had no heat, and the ladies would have roommates. The rats, rodents, and roaches uh, had started to eat the, the treats from home. So to keep warm, the ladies would wear coats and long johns, they beat off what they could from the animals, but they dug in. Now, despite these dire conditions, these ladies knew that failure was not an option. Now, the battalion adopted the motto, no male, low morale, and broke into three eight-hour round-the-clock shifts, seven days a week. They tracked each service member by name. They maintained seven million information cards and that included names and serial numbers so they were able to through their own system to help with those 7,500 men named Robert Hmm. they developed their own recording system which did not exist before they turned chaos into an organized system. They used their professional skills and the skills from the military to handle mail that other postal units deemed undeliverable, making sure that that mail was sent to the right person. Now, these ladies also were given the sad task of returning mail to those who had lost their loved ones. Which you have to think how really sad that is if people who kept mailing letters
0: and packages only to find out months later that
1: the person was was no longer alive.
0: Oh, how sad. That backlog really had a, a terrible impact well beyond just the morale, but impacting those at home and, and who were going to be mourning about folks they lost
1: exactly now the citizens of birmingham were enthralled with the battalion from the moment they had arrived because the the six triple eight was known for their stylishness and had received several compliments of how they maintained you know their beauty as well as manners so what became a a sight to see them work Quickly turned into invitations to tea and nights on the town. Now Major Adams received official greetings from a number of civilians and U.S. and British military
0: officers,
1: and the battalion was welcomed into public spaces and even, like I said, private homes for tea. Now, wow, was-
0: that's t- would have been a totally different back in America, where they would have been segregated and treated um, pretty badly. That's right. Now, as
1: quaint as afternoon tea on the countryside sounds and fun nights at the pub, the ladies' everyday living conditions were not at all quaint. Of course, they were segregated, but they were housed in a building called the Old King Edward School, and the officers were also quartered in two other houses, which held no heat. No, I'm glad that you brought up back home in America and how they would be treated because in uh, even though the ladies were allowed to go to public spaces, in town with the Birmingham citizens, the clubs and uh, hotels put up by the Red Cross, the American Red Cross did not allow the ladies to attend. Hmm. Even though African-American soldiers were allowed to go. And of course, white servicemen and women were allowed to go. uh, The ladies of the six triple eight were told that they were not allowed to uh, associate and fraternize in those clubs Built for American military personnel.
0: Wow! In spite of all the hard work they're doing, they didn't even get a chance to let their hair down and enjoy uh, the very clubs that were intended for these military folks.
1: Exactly. So what the ladies do? So instead of being, you know, you know, put down, they begin to run their own mess hall, hair salon, refreshment bar, and their own recreational facilities.
0: I love their spunk. This is a group. <laughs>
1: Now in her history of the Women's Army Corps, Maddie E. Treadwell wrote that the unit was congratulated by the European Theater on, an, on its exceptionally fine special services program. In observance of military courtesies is also pronounced was also pronounced as exemplary. Their grooming and appearance was above most female battalions in the European Theater. But as the saying goes, haters are going to hate. And despite their exemplary service and manners and hard work, mysteriously, the unit often received unsatisfactory marks when being reviewed or, or inspected by certain male commanding officers, hmm. white male commanding officers. Hmm. Now in a famous exchange when a male general came to inspect the unit, Major Adams would not allow him to enter the private bedrooms of women who were sleeping. The general began to berate her after collecting and and presenting those who were available for inspection. She tried to explain, you know, why, you know, the shifts, all that, but then the general in front of all of her soldiers threatened her by saying that he would bring a white first lieutenant in to show her how to command a unit and famously and i think i might want this on a shirt major adams replied over my dead body sir well she didn't forget to add the sir <laughs> now that quote almost got her court martial but after further discussion um and with other uh officers and higher ups, she, you know, was stayed from from that. But that's a a quote that kind of sticks out. Now, the women of the 6888 found that they were the subject of hostility and rumors through their own uh, compatriots and and members of the military. They would make up lies about the women, putting them in an unfavorable light. It seemed like both male, white, and black soldiers did not like the idea of the battalion being there.
0: Hmm. Even though they were exemplary in all those ways and they wiped out the backlog, well, like you said, haters gonna hate (laughs)
1: Now, despite the hate, despite the the bad conditions, the ladies were not deterred from their mission. What they had been told would take six months, they did it in three. With their new tracking system, they created and processed an average of 65,000 pieces of mail per eight-hour shift. Mm. They all they achieved unprecedented unprecedented success and efficiency in solving a problem that the war department at the start of the story thought was almost impossible to fix. And they would do that and more when they
0: moved on to France. Off to France. My goodness. So they they worked miracles in the UK and now they're about to ship out for France. Well, before they board, let's take a break and then come back to hear if they were successful in their next mission. Want to learn more about systemic racism? Or maybe you want to leave us a comment, rate our show, subscribe, get lots of swag, or reach out to us on social media. Well, you can. Go to our website, www.podpage.com, Why Are They So Angry?, and connect with Courtney and me. You can even sign up to take our course, Systemic Racism, See It, Say It, Confront It, all that Waiting for you at www.podpage.com. Why are they so angry? See you there. Well, Courtney, we're back. And when we left off, I think that very decorated and uh, exemplary battalion of the 6888 was about to head to France.
1: They were. They were heading to Rouen, France. And when they arrived, they were greeted with the cheers of the citizens there, they were even marched into the town square where Joan of Arc uh, triumphed in her own battle but they went right back to work because there was another backlog of mail so they arrived on June 9, 1945 and suddenly remember those nasty rumors in England, well that kind of changed, once they res- arrived in France, several servicemen from France and America and England had business in Rue when is so when they found out
0: these women were there. Okay, these beautiful, well-mannered, uh, well-dressed women—they uh, were followed, I guess.
1: They were followed, and everyone wanted to take leave to Rouen, France. So the the theme was, "I have business and Rouen." <laughs> <laughs> I guess they did. Now, after getting to the unit, there were other issues with security. Now, the the women's police, military police, asked if the unit could be given firearms and they were denied so not to be deterred once again the ladies just trained themselves in
0: jujitsu all right (laughs) not to be deterred I'm telling you I love these women this is amazing go go on I I could just I get a kick out of it
1: and it did really help keeping out unwanted uh unwanted intruders and sadly uh, people throughout the town who were starving because they knew the mail was there so they had to keep them out as well but while they were in Ruin, the backlog there was two to three years but they enlisted the help of the locals and brought it down once again in s- not six months but three months again uh, now it- this would be the only time they would experience a tragedy and a loss mm. uh, PFC Mary J. Barlow and Dolores Brown uh, died from their injuries sustained in a Jeep accident on July 8th, 1945. And like you stated before, the women did not have life insurance or death benefits. So the ladies pulled their money together to bury their sisters in their battalion. Mm, wow. Talk about loyalty. Now, from Rouen, the, the mighty battalion headed to Paris. Where now, when they were received in Paris, the accommodations were a lot more luxurious. They were welcomed into hotels. But once again, they went to work, removed the backlog, and it finally got to the point where there was no backlog. And the women, sadly, due to the, what, how the military felt, were no longer needed. So in February 1946, the remainder, which had been dwindled down to about 300 women, returned to the United States and was disbanded. No fanfare,
0: no congratulations, just thanks and goodbye. Wow. After all that service, losing two women, living in squalor, being segregated, having to learn jujitsu to defend themselves, and not only all of that, but also wiping out the backlog and getting that mail out so that morale could be lifted no recognition
1: No, nope. now of course major adams who was was promoted she was promoted to lieutenant colonel she stayed into the military but the women would not be forgotten one of the most prominent public events honoring the 6888 uh, Central Postal Directory Battalion took place on February 25th, 2009, again, at the Women in Military Service for America Memorial at the Arlington Cemetery. Hmm, at that too bad, time,
0: though. I mean, this is uh, years later, though. Um, many of those women had probably passed on.
1: There were only three surviving members left. Alice Dixon who was 101, Mary Ragdon who was 100 and, and 107 and Gladys Schuster Carter who was 100.
0: Mm. So they had to they were centenarians before they received the kind of recognition and accolades that they should have gotten when they first got back home in the in the late 40s.
1: Exactly. Now in 2005 a major, well Lieutenant Colonel Charity Adams had a public school named after her it's in Dayton, Ohio where she's from and the name of the school is the Charity Adams Early Girls Academy. Mm, cool. so even though it took too long as it always does these women were warriors they were fearless and they loved their country so yeah. I suggest everyone look more if you don't have anyone in your family to remember on Memorial Day remember the ladies of the
0: Oh, uh, you can rest assured I will their story is incredible and just amazing to hear. Uh, But it's also sad. These women only received their just honors many decades after their outstanding service to the military. And you know, Courtney, their story reminds me of another one when women soldiers defied the odds. Um, That's when they formed the first and only all female black African-American military band. Now, just like you were saying how military, uh, the military recognizes how important male is to the morale of the soldiers, um, that's the same thing about military bands. Uh, the the uh, military sees the military ban as a way of raising morale and keeping people inspired and, you know, basically a good PR service for the military. And for the longest time, female Black African-American women were not allowed to uh, have a ban. But in spite of that, they got together and they were given only eight weeks to organize, find the instruments, and play at a high level. That's when the commanding officer on their base, a white male, basically told him, get it together in eight weeks and you can march. And of course, I don't think he would, uh, he expected it, but they did. And they turned out to be very popular around the the country, as well as uh, around the world. So one day, we're going to have to do an episode about them, Courtney, because their story is exciting. Almost as exciting as the 6888, but uh, in a different way. Now, today as gender is concerned, the military is much more integrated along gender lines than at any time in the past. Women are no longer excluded from any type of combat mission. They're pilots and vehicle drivers and mechanics and infantry officers. They can do it all.
1: Something tells me that systemic racism is still creeping around.
0: Black African-American service members continue to face systemic racism simply because of the color of their skin. Now, in one stark example, statistics from the military justice system show that Black personnel are more likely to be court-martialed and face more severe judicial punishments than their white counterparts, including in cases that involve the death penalty.
1: So systemic racism, even in the military justice system, not just the civilian justice system,
0: You have it right, my dear niece. We already talked about in one of our podcasts uh, the civilian justice system and how unfair it is to Black African Americans, but we see it in the military as well. Now, let's talk about how it manifests itself in more subtler ways. Take, for example, the dismal number of Black African Americans who currently serve as the military's most senior leaders. Today, Only two of the nation's 41 four-star generals and admirals are Black African Americans, and that's actually down from six in 2014. Now, in the Army, the largest service, Black African Americans constitute 12.1% of the officer corps, but only one of its 14 four-star generals is Black. Now, the Navy has no Black African-American four-star admirals, and the Marine Corps alone among the services has never had a uh, Black African-American officer promoted to four-star rank.
1: Now, it looks like the military is no different than any other business
0: in U.S. industry. Now, let's talk about the prestigious combat formations like the Army Rangers and the Special Forces. Um those groups that are you know lauded as heroes around the country and seen as you know special guys and gals who really do these uh, amazing secret undercover jobs those groups have actually become more and more white with very few black people indigenous folks people of color they've developed reputations as having particularly racist attitudes and because of that they've driven even more Black African-Americans away. Research has shown the ever-increasing whiteness of these special operations units and the combat arm branches inevitably made them more attractive to the racist and white supremacist views. And some of these views have turned into behavior. Even as all the services emphasize that such behavior will not be tolerated, they still see it in these special units. For example, Surveys conducted by the Military Times show that the percentage of respondents who had seen examples of racism or white nationalism in the force grew from 23.1% in 2017 to 36.3% in 2019 and that the the uh, percentage of minority service members who had personally witnessed such examples grew from almost 42 to 46.7% during the same period of time. Now, the Department of Defense has actually prosecuted 21 criminal cases of white supremacist behavior during the past five years, though critics charge that far more needs to be done to eliminate white supremacist behavior from the force. Well, it seems like they're
1: trying to root it out. And of course, I always have a comic book connection, but with racism in the military, Marvel Comics has reached out and asked certain military groups to stop using the symbol of the Punisher, Frank Castle, as a symbol, as a secret code of white supremacist groups in the military. The Punisher does not like racism.
0: Okay, well, all right with the Punisher. (laughs) Punisher, I like that. Now, Even though the Punisher does not like racism, there's still a lot the military could be doing, even at the elite military training schools like West Point and the Coast Guard Academy. Here's an example. After becoming the first black African-American to be the top-ranked cadet at West Point in 2018, now what an honor, what an honor. Army First Lieutenant Simone Askew said in a letter circulated online, that she found a Photoshop picture of her slipped under her door with a monkey face over her own. Askew said after that incident, quote, more racist caricatures and comments continue to circulate online. One of the popular images even depicted me as Satan himself. So people who are supposed to be brave and can
1: face that are online bullies. Not cool. Not cool at all.
0: Not at all. And, you know, it's a shame. She was named the top-ranked cadet. Obviously, there was a lot of jealousy there, sexism, and racism. Now, in another incident... Involving a female, Lieutenant Commander Kimberly Young-McLear said she contemplated suicide in the weeks after announcing her intention to file a formal EO complaint at the Coast Guard Academy in 2016, where she was a professor. She alleged workplace bullying tied to her race, gender, and sexual orientation had happened. Now, young McClear said she was subjected to degrading comments for her work and was undermined and her reputation was damaged. Now, as she pressed her accusations, young McClear said she was retaliated against with a low performance evaluation and, and that allegation was even confirmed by an inspector general's investigation. Later on, even though after she was vindicated, she said she worries that little has changed. According to McClare, quote, either people are too afraid to report because they don't trust the system because of rea- retaliation, or if it is reported, it gets immediately swept under the rug.
1: Wow. Degrading a, per- a person's reputation, especially them being a female, that goes back to the 6888 and their low uh inspections and rumors about their reputations.
0: Yep, the history is there, and we see it right up to the 21st century. Now, the abhorrent situations both of these women faced are only illustrative of what Black African American military personnel say they face regularly. However, there is a bit of hope. The military may be in for some systemic change. Here are two examples. First, Lloyd J. Austin III, is the first Black African American to serve as the 28th Secretary of Defense. He was sworn in on January 22, 2021. He's a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point and he served 41 years in uniform, retiring as a four-star Army General after three years as Commander of U.S. Central Command. Now, Courtney, I think having a black African-American heading the defense arm of the US government may mean he can bring a new perspective and approach to finding and hopefully extinguishing systemic racism in the military. Now, secondly, there is a new commission that was created to rename U.S. Army bases that had been named for Confederate leaders. Now, that commission has quietly undergone a major shakeup as the uh, Biden administration has replaced four last-minute Trump appointees, and they have uh, uh, appointed a very diverse group to replace them. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who I just spoke of, replaced the four appointees with new members are ex- who are expected to approach the task with a critical eye toward the past and emphasis on racial and ethnic diversity now that eight member commission was formed last year after george floyd's death brought attention to systemic racism in Uh, America in general. And that caused the military to start doing some soul searching. Now, the new appointees include Michelle Howard, the first Black African-American woman to command a U.S. Navy ship. And Secretary Austin also appointed a retired West Point historian who has compared the Confederacy to treason.
1: I am glad that these people are on this commission, because I would think at West Point, where they teach military history, the confederacy law so why would you never mind moving on
0: (laughs) moving on well courtney we've examined a lot we've gone back in history all the way back to the revolutionary war to talk about women involved in the military Uh, we brought it up to the present we've examined systemic racism and how it's had its impact on women in the military black african-american people in general but specifically women in the military and we've heard about that amazing group the six Triple Eight Battalion. I'll tell you what, I want them sorting my mail to make sure I get it.
1: Exactly. No Amazon package pirates with the Trip 6 Triple Eight around. Not at all. (laughs) Now, in closing, I would like to dedicate this episode to my Aunt Dolores J. King, who passed away this year due to COVID 19. My entire life, my aunt has served in the military, uh, proudly to retire. She was a member of the military police, commanding her own unit she paved the way for many african-american female soldiers and female soldiers of all all colors and backgrounds even though you may not know her name i do and i salute her and thank you for listening to this episode and thank you aunt dodie for your service Now, with that being said, if you miss us in between episodes or just want to find us online to say hi or bye, come to our website, which is www.podpage.com slash why are they so angry. That brings today's episode to a close. We hope you join us next time when we continue providing the answer to the question, why are they so angry? As always, we hope you learn something so you can see it, say it, and confront it.